Well, welcome, everybody. It's great to see you guys this weekend. Uh, whether you're watching us online or at the Montrose building or at one of our live sites, thanks for taking the time to tune in and spend part of Father's Day with us. And want to wish all the dads happy Father's Day. And uh, we love you guys. We respect you. Uh, we pray for you. And we want to celebrate you. So I hope you have a great time with your family and uh, a great time not just being reminded and challenged of what, what is expected from you or needed from you as a dad, but also enjoying that and reveling in that. My favorite thing in life is being a dad. It, it is the, the source of so much joy and so much fulfillment. And I, I hope that that's what's highlighted for you uh, here this weekend. But happy Father's Day, everybody. Uh, this year for Father's Day, I uh, decided to do something a little bit different. And so uh, what we're going to do this weekend is I want to walk you through a passage of Scripture and uh, just kind of do that with some hyper-practicality. And uh, my idea for this actually came from a, a, a meeting that I was having once with a, a young friend of mine, a guy who's studying for ministry and, and kind of getting growing in life. And so we went out to lunch one day. And we were talking about his life and his family. And one of the things he said to me, he said, he said, Jeff, I, I wasn't raised with an awesome picture of a dad. Don't really know him that much. And he said, I'm not real sure what to do. Fatherhood mostly intimidates me and scares me and kind of makes me insecure a little bit. Can you help me know how to be a dad? And so we joked around about that for a second. And I said, I tell you what, how about I give you some dad lessons? And he said, I, that's a great idea. And so we started talking about that. And that's what I started doing. Just give them super practical, super helpful things of how to be a dad. And I think that's a big deal for a lot of us dads, you know, that, that most of us statistically, most of us grew up in a home where there wasn't a dad living in the home with us. And then a bunch of us grew up where maybe dad wasn't engaged or wasn't healthy. And when we come into our own like desire to be a dad, we don't feel hyper ready to do that. We feel like there's gotta be some kind of instruction manual somewhere that, that if I could just like understand it a little bit, I could put together relationships with my kids because I have trouble doing that out of my own experiences. I can't just mimic what my dad did for me. And I realize that's a, that's a really big void. And one of the things that I'm really grateful for is I did grow up in a home with a great dad, but a unique relationship. My dad got really sick. He had a, started having a series of strokes when I was 12 years old. And so I didn't do a lot of things with my dad that maybe a typical kid or at least a stereotypical kid might do with their dad. We didn't play basketball or throw a baseball or fish or something like that. We didn't do a lot of that. But I had a dad that loved me, that was committed to me, that was proud of me. And when I entered fatherhood, it gave me a certain security, a certain sense that I, if I could at least do these parts of what my dad did. I know that they were meaningful to me. And if I could make those meaningful to my kids, it may be a way to really express love to them. I didn't always know what activities to do with my kids, but I at least had a framework of how to love them and engage them. 
And that's missing for a lot of us, right? It's missing for a lot of us in the brokenness of our world and in the pain that a lot of us have lived in. We have that absence in us. And that's where dad lessons came from, where my friend who loves Christ, is an amazing man of God, is a great leader actually, loves his family, looked and said, I literally am kind of a blank slate. I don't know what to do. And so I want to give you some dad lessons here today, right? And so if, you, if you're not a dad, these are going to be kind of leadership lessons. That's the way that you would translate this, this conversation from God's word, that leaders weave these things into their life as we lead at work, as we lead our homes, our friends in the dorm room, wherever it is. But because it's Father's Day, we're going to use dads as the illustration. How about that? And we'll, we'll talk about them a lot because, come on, it's one week in a year. Let's give it to them. Can we do that? And the rest of us will kind of just draw out of it uh, what God wants us to draw out of it. So let me show you this. If you got your Bibles, go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I actually love this passage and talk about it quite a bit over the years. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And the Apostle Paul is writing to uh, the early church. And he writes this letter and what he's helping them to do in part is get their head around what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to lead people. And so the whole chapter of chapter 16 is is tied to that, how to be a church, how to be kind of a leader of people and honor Christ in the process of doing that. And in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 16, 1 Corinthians He says this kind of as a capstone to it. He says, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong and do everything in love. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong and do everything in love. And those couple verses are great verses. If you wanted a new tattoo, that might be one to get. They're great verses. They're great kind of high-level capstone verses when it comes to leadership and when it comes to fatherhood. And I think we can draw some dad lessons out of these verses as we look at this stuff. So let's break this down a little bit. First Corinthians chapter 16, Paul's talking about this. This is verses 13 and 14. If you want to underline those in your Bible or highlight them, of course, this is in your notes there if you want to look at them. But as he's going through these dad lessons, he kind of breaks it out in a real succinct way. And the first thing he says is this, to be on your guard, to be on your guard. As a leader, as a father, or any level of leadership that you're in, when the Apostle Paul is looking at Christ's followers, he's looking and saying, hey, Christ follower, you need to stand on your guard. You're protecting people. You're standing in front of friends, family, coworkers, your, your children. You need to protect them. And you need to do that by being on your guard. And, and the, the visual here is the visual of like a, a, a sentry or a, a, a watchman, right? So think outside of like Buckingham Palace. The guards are there. They have their guns and they're guarding the entrance. They're a sentry. They're a watchman and they're alert to what's happening around them. So Paul looks at us and he says, as a father, you're the sentry, you're the watchman, you're the guard of your home. 
and you're to stand at the gates of your family and you're to guard what comes into that gate and whether your family is safe or not. By the way, uh, this is fathers who do this. We do it a little bit instinctually. All right. This is the reason why your dad walks around and locks all the doors every night before he goes to bed and why he turns all the lights off. That's the, that's what he's doing. He's making sure kind of a real subtle way that everybody's safe. The, the fortress is locked down and it's ready for us to, to be asleep. And that's kind of that picture a little bit. I'm, I'm acting as a guard. Now, Paul's going to take that. He's going to draw it to our faith. And he's going to look at us and he's going to say, listen, as a leader, as a dad, uh, you need to think that way spiritually, that you need to be on your guard. The Bible would tell us certain things about what is happening to a Christ follower and what is happening to kind of those who are vulnerable. So the Bible would say things like this, that the devil is, a, is like a roaring lion seeking to whom he can devour. In other words, the devil is after you and after your children. The, the Bible is very clear that the evil one hates your family. He hates your marriage. He hates your children. He hates that you're trying to establish faith in them. And so he's always going to be attacking. He's going to throw, the Bible uses this imagery of flaming darts. He's always going to be throwing things at your family to try to hurt them or harm them. It's the nature of who he is. And it's his hatred for God and his hatred for God and Christ showing up in your life and in your family's life. And so Paul says to the church, to the home, he's like, you need to know that. Like, that's important. That's an important perspective. And you need to be on guard. You need to be looking around saying, what is it that could happen, that might happen? And what do I need to be aware of? The, the, the father stands as a sentry, as a watchman, as a guard. And he looks and he's, he's trying to foresee danger. What could possibly happen? What might go right? What might go wrong? This is why your dad checks the oil before you go back to college. Uh, this is why he's always looking at the tires of the car to see if they're wearing correctly. This is why he hears every noise on the car because he will, ah, that brake pad needs to be replaced. He's, it's our instinct and it's our role as a father. And I would broaden that and say, as a Christian leader, whether you're a dad or not, to be on guard and to see those things. The, the, the sentry foresees, he looks ahead, he sees the financial pitfall. And he tries to steer his family around it. And by the way, family, kids, let your dad do that and listen to him, right? Encourage him in that. He, he sees the, the, the moral pitfall. And when your dad says, or your mom or a Christian leader says, hey, doing, going over there with your girlfriend or, or doing, hanging out there with your boyfriend, that's a bad idea. It's full of temptation. You might look and say, ah, oh, no, you're overblowing it. 
And the guard, the watchman, the sentry is saying, no, I just see the potential danger in it. Uh, that friend is a bad influence on you. Dad, you just don't know them. No, I see the, I see the potential influence. If you, if you show me your friends today, I'll show you what your tomorrows will look like. I know that as a watchman, as a sentry, learn from my mistakes, see? And I'm looking because I realize I'm sending the people that I love into a world that hates them, into a spiritual system where the evil one is out to hurt them, and I'm on guard in those things, right? And this is spiritual leadership and it's fatherhood. A leader is never passive. Uh, this picture of dad laying on the couch and is lazy, never gets up and do, do anything or plays video games all night. No, no. A leader is never passive like that. A leader is never absent. The dad that's lost in his hobby and it's golf every night and it's fixing up the old car every day and it's, no. No, that's not a century. You're not at the gate. You're in the garage, see. So that's not leadership. A dad is never passive. He's never absent and he's never spiritually absent. The idea that like we, we load up the kids in the minivan and mom and you go to church and I go to the golf course, no, no, absolutely not. You're not with your family. You're not able to disseminate that information that they learned or were taught in church, right? We lead them, we guard them, we protect them, and we never, ever, ever are the ones who introduce the danger. As, as, a, as a watchman, as a sentry, as a guard, I don't bring the moral impurity into my home. I don't introduce the financial instability with reckless decisions. I'm not the one who looks and says, you know what, we're too busy at church, let's do something. No, absolutely not. As a leader, as a guard, as a watchman, as a sentry, as a dad, see, I play that role and I do that because it protects those that I love and God has put me in that position and given me the opportunity to do that. So I'm always on guard. Paul goes on then, he says this, not only are we to always be on guard, that's a big dad lesson for you. Here's a second one. We're to stand firm in the faith. We're to stand firm in the faith. That doesn't say let's be stubborn about stuff. <laughs> it says stand firm in the faith. My belief in Jesus Christ, my dedication to his word and his teaching becomes the place that I'm rooted. It's, it becomes the reputation of my family, the reputation of my integrity. It becomes what we give ourselves to. Before, before I'm a music booster and before I'm this position at work and, and before we're the, the sports family, we are a family that is, that is in the faith. And my faith is genuine and my faith is real and my faith is steadfast. I stand firm in that faith. This is a big one. It's a big one, okay? Because fathers 
Fathers are to always lead their family toward the person of Jesus Christ, not away. My kids, when they're around me, when your kids are around you, or when you're a leader, the people you work with, the girls in your team, the guys in your dorm room, we are to be a catalyst to move them closer and closer to Christ. Jesus uses this, um, this word picture of talking about uh, Christ followers, and he says, you are to be salt and light. You're to be salt and light, he uses this metaphor. Here's one of the reasons why Jesus chose that metaphor. Because neither of those things are passive. Neither are passive, right? So salt is not passive. When salt comes into contact with anything, it has an effect on the thing that it's touching. And the same thing with light. When light is introduced in any way, it has an effect on the room that it's introduced to. So part of what Jesus is saying to a Christ follower is you're not passive. You, you don't just pick up your faith and kind of keep it in your hip pocket and show up at church once in a while and be nicer than you normally would. He's like, that's a passive thing. You are an active ingredient. ingredient. You're, a, you're a catalyst to whatever you touch or interact with. You're salt, you're light. And standing firm in the faith is, is more than looking and saying, I take the family to church once in a while, uh, that, that, I, that I, you know, we're, we're a Christian family as opposed to a Hindu family, a Buddhist family. Standing firm in the faith is the idea that I'm looking and I'm saying, I, I have chosen to be salt. I have chosen to be light. And I'm, I'm rooted in that identity and in that position in my life. And that is who I want to be and what I want to be. Now, this is big. It's a really big deal, especially for dads. There's a, there's a lot of uh, psychological studies that have been done. And uh, I, this, I've talked about this many times over the years because I think it's so, so critical. The, the psychologists will tell us that children form their view of God primarily through their view of their earthly father. Children form their view of God primarily through their view of their earthly father. So if their dad's good, God's good. If their dad's cruel, God's cruel. If their dad's present, God's present. If their dad's absent, God's absent. And it's not that the wounds of childhood cannot be corrected and healed. It's that as a father, I have an enormous opportunity to give my child a unique advantage in their relationship with God. Because I can define God in many ways. Standing firm on the faith is tied to that. It's tied to the idea of me as a dad saying, I want to do that. I want to give my kids that advantage. I want them to look at my life and see me beyond my job, beyond my hobbies. I want them to see Christ in me. And as we follow God, our kids will follow us. And children have their own free will. They have to decide whether they're going to embrace their faith or not. You cannot control that. And I would encourage you not to try to. 
but you can influence it and you can clarify it. And standing firm in the faith is how that happens. Now, men, that, that sounds intimidating a little bit, right? So like for some of us, we hear that and like, oh, great, I got to go to seminary and get a master's degree or get a doctorate suddenly in the Bible. And that's not what Paul's after here. What he's saying is the genuineness of your faith will be caught by your kids. Um, when I look at my relationship with my dad growing up, the parts of his faith that I remember the most clearly are the parts that I caught him in. Let me say that again. The parts of his faith that I remember the most clearly were the parts that I caught him in. It weren't the parts that I expected him. I expected my dad to sing at church and to pray at church and to be involved in church. I just expected that. But it was when I caught him simply loving Christ. I'll give you an example of this. Uh, my dad, when, uh, when he was raising me and when he was uh, a, a young father in his 30s, my dad would kneel beside his bed every night and pray before he went to bed. Every night he would kneel beside his bed and he would pray before he went to bed. Now, do you know why I know that? Because as a young child, like all little kids do, I would go into my mom and dad's room at night because I wanted a glass of water or had a dream or whatever. And I remember two or three or four times over the course of my childhood where I caught my dad kneeling beside his bed and praying before he went to bed. It was not a family rule. He did not say, if you don't kneel beside your bed before you go to bed, that you don't love Jesus, son. It was nothing like that. It was him having a habit of humbling himself before God every day before he put his day away. I caught him doing that. I caught him standing firm in the faith. And leaders, church leaders, family leaders, that's what Paul encourages us to do. He goes on and he says this. He says, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith. And then he says, be courageous, be courageous. It, it, I want you to be courageous with what you're doing and your relationship with God. This idea of being courageous is this idea that as a dad, I have the courage to do what needs to be done and to identify what needs to be identified. We live in a, we live in a culture right now that is attacking our families. And those attacks don't come from a bunch of people out there primarily. This is not somebody that's gonna knock on your door or a teacher that's gonna mislead, mislead your kids or something like that. The attacks on our family, ready? They come mostly through things like Netflix, like media, like uh, ungodly social norms. Things that come in, the Bible says that Satan is subtle. He hates your family, wants to attack your family. Well, he knows better than to like bang on the door in the middle of the night and try to get your kid. Like he knows that you would catch that every time. But if he can slip in a falsehood through a movie, if he can slip in um, 
a lack of respect for women through a song. If he can slip in some subtle prejudices through a joke. See, our families are going to be more likely to be attacked that way than some violent thing that's going to happen to them. So when Paul says be courageous, he's talking about that. The same thing, by the way, happens in the church. Falsehoods in the church are going to come subtly. They're not going to come in a blazing way. If somebody walked into Grace Church and said, you know what, we're not Christian anymore. Now we're all Hindus. We would all react to that. But if somebody came in and just started gradually introducing ideas that sounded a lot like Jesus, but weren't Jesus, and that person is a friend, or there's a cultural norm that now suddenly like embraces that falsehood and we find ourselves on the outside of it, that's what the Apostle Paul is saying to be courageous about. There is a desperate need in our world for clear-headed, pure-hearted, and courageous leaders who will define what is right, wrong, good, bad, wise, and unwise. Your family, dad, needs you to turn that show off because it's inappropriate. Your, your children need you with gentleness and respect. We don't have to be a controlling jerk, but your children need you to say, honey, are you listening to the words of that song? Your family needs you to look and say, I, I don't think that's ethical. That's not biblical. I know that that has become normal, but that's actually immoral according to scripture. And having the, cur the courage to be disagreed with, to be countered, to be considered old fashioned or out of touch, but the courage to stand firm in the faith because you're on guard and to speak with clarity and truth. Our culture, your family, is desperate for leaders who will lovingly, respectfully, gently, and unapologetically stand on God's word, represent his mind and his heart to the people around him. Have courage, be courageous, Paul says. And this is necessary in the church, in the home, in the culture, and in our faith. The next element of this, he says, be courageous. And then he says this, he says, be strong, be strong. I want you to, you got to be on your guard. I want you to understand that. I want you to be courageous. I want you to stand firm in the faith. And I then want you to be strong. I, I want you to be a person who influences other people. When Paul's talking about this idea of being strong, He's talking about this in the context of leadership. That as a leader, I'm not just controlling somebody or telling them they're wrong or disciplining them. That's not the type of leadership that the scripture calls for. What he's saying is I want you to be strong. I want you to be the person that's in the right, that's above the fray, 
that, that's out of kind of the cultural mix, that by being on guard, standing firm in your faith, being courageous will do that. And then I want you to strong or with strength lead the people around you. And I call this visionary leadership, that as a dad, not only am I guarding what might hurt my family, not only am I like serving as an example of what may be good and right for my family, not only am I identifying what might be evil or wrong or hurtful for my family, but I'm, I'm now leading my family. I'm leading them to something greater than they would have expected for themselves. And I call this visionary leadership. Here's my definition of visionary leadership. A visionary leader is someone who believes something for someone that they do not yet believe for themselves. I'm believing something for you that you do not yet believe for yourself. I have a vision of where we can go, a vision of where you can go, a vision of how God can work in your life but you don't have that vision yet, but I'm gonna believe that and lead you toward that vision. I'm going to be strong in that position for you, see. As a dad, I have to do this all the time, as a parent, as a leader. When I look at my kid and my kid says, the math problem's too hard, I must be dumb. And look at my child and say, the math problem is hard. You are not dumb. We have to work at this. You can do this. I'm believing for them what they don't believe for themselves yet. See? When, when a child looks and says, I want to quit. I want to quit. The boss made me mad. I don't like that. I want to quit. And we step in and say, you're not allowed to quit. How come? Because if you get good at quitting, you'll do it the rest of your life. So I'm not going to let you quit. I can't do it. Yes, you can. I believe for you what you do not yet believe for yourself. Uh, you might be in a family and you might have a vision. Say, you know what? I, I, I want to live as a debt-free family. I'm so sick and tired of being in debt. I want to be a debt-free family. And the family looks and says, well, wait a minute. What about eating out in the movies and this and that? And he say, I think we'll feel more freedom on the other side of this journey and it will be worth it. I believe something for you that you do not yet believe for yourself. And we do this all the time. Kids maybe are fearful. They're, they want to go on a missions trip or going to go meet some new people. I'm fearful. Honey, you're going to love it once you do it. I'm believing something for you that you do not yet believe for yourself. So Paul comes in and he says, guys, be strong. See, strong. We're guarding, we're standing, right? We're, we're, we're courageous, but then we're moving. We're using our strength and our position to move the conversation forward because I know that God wants more for you than you understand right now. Here's the final thing he says. He says, guys, all of that, but do everything in love, all of it in love, every piece of it. This strength, this courage, this standing, this, this perseverance, all that I have laid out for you, the overarching element of all of that is love. This is not about control. 
This is not about being the boss. This is not about positional leadership. This isn't, I'm your dad, do what I told you to, don't talk back to me. That's not what this is. This is all motivated by love. And when I do all of these things in love, when there's no self-interest, I'm putting the interests of others above my own. When I'm trying to serve you, not manipulate you, and I'm trying to lead you to the mindset of Christ, not to simply my opinion or my perspective, see? I do it all in love. I stand guard, right? I'm firm in the faith, I'm unmoving. I'll act courageously, I'll do that with strength. But what you really know of me is all that stuff is true, but I love you and I love you deeply. I love you as I have been loved by Christ. And as Christ transforms me, as you see my faith playing out, as you catch me, I want you to see that I'm trying to give that same love to you. And I'm trying to interact with you and be the, the leader, the influencer, the, the dad that I know that you need. Some dad lessons, right? If we can get these types of things down, uh, we've got our head around it a little bit. And, and we can start to really understand what God has called us to, the, the position that he, is, he has put us in and how he wants to work through us. Now, as I was thinking about all this, I, got, I get a little nervous because this is, what I, this is what I do and I think other people do it too. Um, I get into my head sometimes when I hear a list like that, I start thinking this, man, somebody must do that list correctly. I mean, somebody's got to hit a home run with that all the time. And when you're the teacher of the list, right, the, the, the temptation is to look and say, well, that, mu Je that must be the way that Jeff is a dad. He must be the perfect dad. And if you think that and you want a good laugh, you should say that to my children. <laughs> They'll laugh you right out of the room, right? So this idea that somebody is awesome at this and I am not. And if I was just that somebody else, right? So we get this superhero complex. So this is what I see, like dads, dads want to be the, the superhero, right? We, we love this idea. I do too. I, I want to be the guy that saves the day. I want to be the guy with special superpowers. Like I think it would be awesome if I could stick to the side of buildings. It'd make home maintenance a lot easier, let's be honest. So we have this idea and we're like, somebody must be the Superman of dads. Somebody's gotta be the Spider-Man of dads. This guy is just got his act so together. He's the amazing dad of all time. This guy's got some kind of special dad powers. And if I was this guy or I was this guy, then I could be the leader, I could be the dad, but I don't have superpowers. Therefore, I will never be the person that God wants me to be. And my family's kind of stuck with lame-o dad. By the way, children and sometimes even spouses and friends have this same expectation. If, well, if my dad was Superman, then I would be the kid I'm supposed to be. If my, if my spouse was Spider-Man and he has it, then, then I would be the, 
And we can project these unreasonable, unbiblical, unrealistic expectations onto ourselves and others. When you think about Spider-Man and you think about Superman, and if you know their stories, there's somebody that's really, really important in their stories that is actually the hero of their story. This is the person that was their dad. And this is, this is who this guy represents. I think this is actually the bodyguard for the king in Frozen. But for today, he's going to be Uncle Ben to Spider-Man. And he's going to be Jonathan Kent to Superman. When you have Superman and you have Spider-Man, what's true of these people is that neither one of them knew how to function in the world. Superman is a refugee. And he fell into a relationship with Jonathan Kent, his dad. And his dad adopted him and raised him as his own and was his father. Superman's stability Superman's ability to use his powers for good instead of evil, Superman's humility was taught to him by his dad who had no special powers. In the Spider-Man story, this is Uncle Ben. So remember, Spider-Man's dad uh, was killed. He was adopted by his aunt and uncle. He had a stepdad kind of stepped in. And Uncle Ben loved and served and provided and spoke wisdom to Peter Parker. He helped him to understand that with great power comes great responsibility, right? He's the one who allowed Spider-Man to become Spider-Man. Jonathan Kent allowed Superman to become Superman. And in the story of the superheroes... Superman, in the story of the special power guy, Spider-Man, the hero is the everyman, the common man, the present man, the loving man, the providing man, the selfless man, the accepting man. And Paul would say, the Christ-centered man who stood guard, who stood firm, who was courageous, who was strong. And he wasn't the superhero. He was the one who produced the superhero. Jonathan Kent, Uncle Ben, they're the real hero of the story. Men, catch this, look at me. 90% of fatherhood is showing up. 90% of fatherhood is showing up. And the majority of the wounds that you might have from your father is not because he didn't make enough money, 
It's not because he didn't play enough ball with you. It's not because the majority of the wounds that you have from your father are in the places where your dad didn't show up. You know what Paul's saying? Saying, show up. Show up. You don't have to be a superhero Christian to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ. You don't have to be the world's greatest husband to be a loving and faithful and dedicated husband to the mother of your children. You don't have to be good at sports to play sports with your kids. You don't have to be good at math to do math with your kids. Praise God for Google. You don't have to be awesome at any of those things, but you have to want to be there. You have to want to follow Christ, to lead your family to Christ, to enjoy your children, to stand up to your children sometimes, and to be faithful in that mix. Don't worry about being Superman, there's only one. Don't worry about being Spider-Man. There's, there's only one original. You can be Uncle Ben. You can be Jonathan Kent. And they're actually the difference makers in those stories. God has entrusted us with this. It's not your fault that you're missing some pieces. Don't feel guilty about that. You're not incapable of being a father just because you're not sure how to do it. Every dad is a rookie at being a dad. And the rules change with every kid. There's nothing wrong with you. Your family isn't being ripped off because, because you're learning as you go. You know what they want? You know what your kids want more than anything? They just want you. And your presence and your love and your investment is the gift that God gives to those that you lead and love. Engage that. Engage Christ. Engage that opportunity. Engage your kids. And you will play the role that God has assigned for you to play and you'll be good at it and you'll be successful at it. And your children and those that you lead will love you because of it. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we love you. And I pray especially for fathers this weekend. Lord, it is a crazy world and it's crazy for us. These things are coming at us too. So God, help us to run to you, to gain our strength from you, to gain our, our footing, our orientation from you. And God, as we love like you loved us, Jesus, and we serve like you serve us, Jesus, and we forgive and show mercy and grace like you do for us, Jesus, let our children and our spouses and those that we lead and those that we love be the recipients of it. Help us to do all of this in the love that you have given to us. Empower fathers today 
Encourage them today. Give them wisdom and grace and discernment today. Go before them today, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.